And we're on. So, so Deuteronomy 15 is where we are today. And we've just, we've been going back through. One of the things that I, it just impresses upon me every time I read through the Torah is the things that God is, in, the, the things that God is commanding and instructing us to do. Just like he said, you will not be convicted except out of the mouths of two or more witnesses. You know, there have to be at least two people, uh, you know, and, and really two people who can say they knew you were going to do it and warned you, two people who saw you, two different people who saw you do it. Well, the things that God actually commands us to do and instructs us to do are mentioned at least twice in Scripture. And so when somebody comes and they've got some new idea, and I go, well, where do you get that? And they go, this one verse from a psalm, you know, or, or this one verse from the book of Hebrews. And I go, you're going to need to give me a little more than that because your divine revelation from that one verse from books that are not law. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay. And, and I, some people just, they, they get really offended, and, and they're like, oh, you don't, you're not saying, you know, Paul says that all scripture is God. Yes, yes, but the Psalms are songs and poems. They are expressions of emotion. They, are, they talk about what happens when we live according to Torah, or when we don't live according to Torah, or our enemies who don't live according to Torah, who come against us, and, you know, what is going on in my soul when I have victory? What is going on in my soul when I realize my sin? It's, it's about, it's an expression of the experience of striving to live this way, but it's not full of commands. You know, when it says, he knit me together in my mother's wombs. It doesn't mean he picked up needles and, you know, started, you know, literally knitting your sinews together or whatever. And so in, in the law, we're not just told once. And it kind of can be, it can be um, challenging to, as you read through, it's like, oh, this again. Okay, you know, yeah, we get it. We've been told. But God wants to say, Seriously, this. And, and in Deuteronomy, I do love, because it's much, it's much more summary and other information, because when we first hear it, Moses is being told it for the first time, and now we're hearing from Moses with greater context and understanding, because they've had a few cases where it's come up, you know, and they've gone back to God and say, okay, so how does this apply? Where, and, and we get background information that we're not given previously. So, so the reading in Deuteronomy is much nicer and, and flows better, I think. But, you know, but it's, it's not just once. It's not just, oh, in that one little obscure verse here. It's, no, really, multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> I really, oh, really oh, mean oh, this. <laughs> So Deuteronomy 15, it says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. And, and so when they, when they gave loans or when they, when they went, you know, purchase things on lease or whatever, it was done with this in mind. So if, if it was, you know, close to the end of that time period, then um, you would adjust for how long they would have it. And, you know, but, but it's, I think it's really neat that, that there is just this mindset that debt is temporary. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that, I mean, it could be renewed, but debt is, I mean, like in our society, we, it's, <laughs> there have been times where, I, where we've been you know, without a lot of resources, and I'm driving around, and I, I asked one, fr one friend we were driving with, and I said, how is it that everybody else seems able to afford all of this garbage? And he went, because they really can. He said, debt. Exactly. <laughs> he yeah. says, they have debt that you're not willing to take on. And I went, oh, yeah, that's true. No, I don't want the debt. That's fine. We're good. You know, but, but this context of a society that isn't going to be run on debt. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when they built, when, when they did the tabernacle and everybody was told to bring their stuff and they had to tell them, stop bringing it. We've got more than enough, you know. So, so it's, it's a concept of plenty. But of a foreigner, you may exact it. But whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. And I, there will be no poor among you. Wow. And, and that doesn't mean there will be no one broke. Yeah. But the poor were supposed to be taken care of. The poor... Um, there was a time years ago, and, and this, this was in like that season of very, very, very limited resources for us, but we had used a coupon, and we had gotten pictures taken at like a JCPenney or something, and I was on, we were on our way to pick, pick it up, and I had like $20 that I was going to spend on that, and then a very little bit to get us through till the, the next time we had money. And um, one of the kids asked from the back seat, they said, Mom, are we poor? Because we were talking about something, and I said, I, I stopped and I thought, and I said, no. Because, I, I said, right now we're broke, which means we don't have a lot of money. But poor is a place where you have no hope. And I said, we have enough money for the things we need. We're fine. We don't have a lot of extra for the things we want. But we're good. We've got our needs met and some of our wants, you know, just very basic needs. And so the, this isn't saying that there won't be people with no money among you, but there will be no poor among you. The people who go in debt know that it's for a limited time. The people who need to eat know that they can go glean in the fields. They know that they can go to the temple and eat from the storehouses. There are no poor. There's no one without hope that's supposed to be in your community. I know. In this country, it would be a true jubilee. I know. I know. And and you know, and honestly, you know, there are some there are some Christian teachers who will say that, you know, you should never file bankruptcy, or if you if you even if you file bankruptcy, you still owe it. You went into that debt. You understood it. <coughs> I find it interesting that you can file bankruptcy once every seven years. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you should file bankruptcy every seven years. I'm not saying people should go into debt and, with the assumption that they're just going to write it off because our society isn't with this mindset. And I, but I, I think I had heard now that if you do file for it, at the end of the seven years, you're still expected to pay it back. No. No? No. Okay. Well, but that, there are Christian teachers who will say you should. Okay. But... It, and like I said, I'm not advocating going out and running up a bunch of debt and filing bankruptcy just because yeah. we can. But I think that there is... There's situations. There's, right. And I think that yeah. God, I mean, God built it in. Yeah. And, and so if you find yourself in that situation, I don't think that there needs to be a lot of shame and guilt attached to it. Be. 
But I do think that, like God advocates, you know, when someone bails you out of your situation, hey, hey, come on in. I like your hair. You guys are here? I mean, like, well, then. <laughs> Um, I'm like, I see your kids. I'm like, Tommy is cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle had to I work. guess your kids are cool. Michelle had to work a baseball game, cool. and Rob's been seeing your car. You're always so. cool. Yeah. You're like, well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I missed you, woman. I'm so glad you're here. Look at this. Look at this. Your favorite people right here, mommy. Huh? You. Well, oh, your mom's Yeah, your favorite hurt you right now. Because oh. I know you don't care about these. No, not really. No. You mean her favorite person is here. She really don't like she me. She said, why are you late? I know I'm not in the favorite zone. How old OMG, Tiger, my mom loves everybody. She <laughs> loves everybody, but does she favorite? <laughs> oh, she, yes, her, she has a special love for her sister, as she should. That's oh. right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How funny. She says, right now. <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're in Deuteronomy 15. Okay. Oh, Are you going to eat that? Oh, you, gonna put it in? there you go. Oh, that's well, so you sweet. Got a job like oh, that. I want a picture of this. Hold on. I, hold on. I, I got a picture of that. That's just too cute. She said, oh, I might eat it. I'm not going to give it to her. You put it in there. She's trying to get it and put it in the basket. In the basket, she's like, but I want to eat. She's like, I don't want to. She said, wait, I didn't taste it yet. You say you're supposed to be a cheerful giver. (laughs) (laughs) She's, I'm in a good mood. Not take it back. I'll be cheerful after I chew on it a little bit. She's like, now you can't get it back. How funny! So we were we were just talking about how um, at the beginning of Deuteronomy 15, God's talking to them about, and, and Moses is telling them about every seven years. Releasing the debt. Anybody who owes anything, if if you if you have a loan, the, if you've given a loan to a foreigner, it will continue. But any of anyone in your community, uh-huh. you're to release the debt. And and then uh, what we were just talking about is in verse four it says, "But there will be no poor among you." Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how there is a difference between being broke and being poor. Being broke means you don't have a lot of resources, but being poor means you don't have hope. Wow. Well, it it does. And sometimes if I mean sometimes when you're broke you might not be able to buy well when when we went through those seasons, the thing that God really showed me is like I, I came to this understanding after I did a study on something and, and I realized if God is who he says he is, then he'll do what he says he'll do. And God says he shall supply my every need. Therefore, if he doesn't supply something, it means it wasn't a need. Yeah, absolutely. Everything I needed, everything we needed as a family, God provided. There were lots of things I thought we needed, but we we lived and we were fine and we didn't need it. And that was a real huge lesson. But the you know, because God is not here saying there will be no one who is lacking resources because he's already telling them let the people glean let the people you know yeah. set the put these in place for the poor so you know or there if you were broke you still could eat if you were broke you still had resources but yeah. there were no there will be no poor among you and yeah. about the verse that you know where he's saying about 
how he dresses up the you know the lilies right yeah how much more will i take care of you i think a lot of people take that out of context oh yeah they think you i'm know, gonna be in glory and splendor yeah, yeah. they take it into that whole prosperity gospel thing, right you know? where really god's saying you're gonna be okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and one of the lessons, you know, at, 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 in all that time, one of the other things he showed me that, that verse really he spoke to me with it, and he's, I realized, if he's taking care of everything, then if there's a problem that's mine, I'll know what to do. But when there's a problem that I don't know what to do, it means it's not mine. So I was, you know, people would say, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I got a lot of not my problems. You know, <laughs> I see that there's a problem, but I don't have the answer. So until I have yeah. the answer, there's nothing I can do about it. Because yeah. before that, I would spend so much time stressed and worried about how am I, you know, this is coming up. What are we going to do? And all the different options running in my mind. And I, but then when it actually came time, it was very obvious what should be done. Or, or you know, if I, if I knew it was time, I could call somebody who knew, like an account, my friend who's an accountant, and I could say, okay, this is the situation. What do you advise or whatever? But just because I saw it down the road doesn't mean I need to worry about it. And that's when God's saying, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's enough to deal with today. Deal with what you have. If today you have enough to take care of all your needs, pay all your bills, stay alive, and, and do what you need to do, that's good. <laughs> and when you wake up tomorrow, you will find that you have that also. Yeah. And, and there were things that we, that we lost because we didn't have the resources for it, but we were just fine without it. We found out that having that wasn't a need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things God, God very clearly told me when I was crying at one point, he said, I promise to supply all your needs. I didn't promise to pay your debts. I didn't promise to, you know, if you put yourself in debt, you are not obligating God to anything. Because <laughs> so, he says, don't do that in the first place. Don't take on debt. And, and so, I know. <laughs> but I wanted that new thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's just not. Deuteronomy, so. then we want Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15. Uh, four. Oh. So, so even the poorest person in America has more yeah. resources and more help than someone. It's available. It's of Calcutta, India. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like we're just so spoiled. Our father has really spoiled us. I mean, we just... Well, and, and a lot of times yeah, among the rich, you find the biggest attitude of, I don't have enough. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And so it's all, it's all perspective, I mean, you know? Right. But that's not... And that's the, the whole point. Yeah, that's not the answer. I won't be able to keep up it, my big house, so I'm jumping out the But you can, you can have <laughs> all the money in the world and have no and hope still and poor. still be poor. Yeah. Right. So that's why I say the, the, it's the lust of the flesh. is never satisfied. Right. You know? yeah. Right. So, and that's the whole point. We're not supposed to be, there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. And going on to verse 5, and this is the part that, like, people want to stop there, but if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. And, And there is an... Rather than this, because a lot of times people read this or, or, and verses like this and they go, see, it's like a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, God's saying, if you don't listen, I'm not going to do it. But what are the things he's commanding you to do? 
release each other from debt every seven years. Leave the corners of the field for people to glean. If you do all these things, your community will prosper because you will be taking care of each other. Right. That, that's, that's the point. If you stop doing these things, you won't prosper. Right. And, and there, there is an element that when you're not living this way, you know, if, and, and I, and I want to make sure I, I don't, because I don't want I don't, this to sound like a threat. But I don't look at it as a threat. I look at it as if you don't do these things, like you say, your community isn't going to thrive, and then there will be poor, there will be hope, because you're not Right, because you're support. not doing it, which is why Micah, he's talking to the priests, saying, stop robbing the storehouses. You're telling me there's not enough for the poor. Well, you're eating it all. That's why. And so, so I mean, there, there is an element that when your community stops living rightly, there are things that happen. You know, you, you may not get the rain for, for the thing. And I, yeah, and, and I think that it's, we were watching, we, I really, I love chaos theory and, and a lot of, you know, I love like the, the quantum yeah. string theory and I, I love My reading about that. And we, we've been watching stuff and talking about like art with the doctor and he's measuring the, the energy stuff. Um, and we were talking about something the other day and like all of a sudden, you know, when you're in your mind, when that, that you know, you just shift like a click to the right and suddenly you just like see things this new whole new idea, and and I don't at all want to sound like those you know law of attraction kind of books like that you know that the secret yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not talking well I'm not saying I think that I think that there's a an element yeah. of truth in they what they're talking about and and I think it's really important because I think that when there's a difference between trying to manipulate the world and manipulate energy. Um, which I think crosses over into witchcraft yes. and trying and, and being aware of it and aware of its impact on you and your impact on others, which is about trying to live rightly. But I, we are all energy and I find it interesting that our energy sends out a signal that attracts certain people and repels others. And as we change, we draw different people to us, and it's almost like a, like magnets. You know how they have the the si one side that that clicks together with people, and then they have the other side that pushes away. And you know, we were watching something, and my daughter asked me, um, you know, how do how do criminals find each other? And I and we were, and I said they they attract. You know, they're living in such a way that it puts out the signals, and others like that will you know they they find each other just like you know how do healthy people. Find healthy people, and and you just you're drawn together. That it's not something that's really on purpose. Yeah, and Craigslist, he says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that's right. That's right. But but I think that I think that we we underestimate the power that who we are sends out that signal to the world of who we are. We teach people how to treat us. We show others who we are. We don't even necessarily have to say anything. But when God says, they'll, you know, when the Bible says they'll know we are Christians by our love, Absolutely. that means that, that that energy we're putting out there is loving. And, and what is love? You know, it's patient, it's kind, it's doing all these things. And so I do think that if you are a generous person... That that it is very likely that you will draw generous people, and you will have lot you will have lots of things, because those things aren't what matter to you. Exactly. You're you're going to you know I do think there's an element of 
if you're going to invest your money in the kingdom, God's going to make sure a lot of money comes through you to bless the kingdom. And if you're going to, you know, if you're going to feed people, God's going to provide that food for you to feed people. And if you, you know, if you are going to take care of, of this particular group of people, God's going to bring that group to you. And so I think that there, there is, you know, when you're living rightly, you're going to draw to yourself others who are living rightly, and you're going to create a community that is functional and healthy and takes care of everybody. And when you take a different path and you choose not to live rightly, that's what you're going to draw to you. And, and so I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that we're, the only control we're given is self-control because we're supposed to be growing well, and maturing, and as we do, uh, we attract different people. That's like when, um, when they say, you know, be careful who your friends are when you're not necessarily living right and stuff, you know? Because uh-huh. like as soon as, like even me, I wasn't always doing the right thing, and, you know, I had lots of friends, but then as soon as I started doing things differently, like even before I had Mark, you know, I was just like, you know, this is kind of weird, and this is dumb, and this is like so when I was 18, and I right. was shape up, and... <laughs> Right. You know, or even deciding to go to school, just little changes that you make to start bettering yourself, then you start not having time for maybe those other things you're doing. And it was so weird because I was like, dude, like my friends were right. dropping off like flies. Right. And there was really only like maybe two in the end that were still there through all my changes and stuff. Right. That actually, eventually they started going through their own. But it was so yes. weird because I was like, huh. You think right. you have a bunch of friends, and then you start changing and, and taking things out of right. your life that you don't do anymore. And well, and those friends, you, as you change, as you change, you're now sending out repelling yeah, energy because so. that's so no weird. longer compatible with who you are and what your life is. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not that you can change your friends and change your life. Uh-uh. It's that it's as you happen. change and grow, these, yeah. are, these are the results. This is like what will happen. Like, Friends with you guys, I would say like, hey, let's hang out, and they're like, oh, you want? I'm going to get a bottle. Yeah, yeah. No, I was like, no, let's just you know go to the movies, or let's. Just, I want to do something a little different, and it was more like, oh, yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. Drinking tonight, you know what right. I mean? And it was like, what? I got a job. Y'all need to stop. Yeah, I gotta get up in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Twelve. Speaking of spirits, Lisa and I was having a conversation, and um, remember when Saul went to seek out the meeting? So yeah. She could tell him. Right, right. So she could call up Moses. Yeah. He stopped hearing the voice of God. Right. And she conjured up, uh, what's his name, uh, the prophet Samuel, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was Samuel. Yeah. We're starting Samuel today, by the way. That's Are our... we really? Yes. Oh, yes. Good. We're going to see, probably hear that yeah. story. And so who, who gave the median that power to do that? Was it God or was it Satan? Well... And can Satan give you the power? I what I really okay. The, what I've come to really believe. These medians, they... Well, what I really believe is that there are there are people who are born with a greater awareness of the spiritual realm, yeah. and it just is. There, it just like some people are athletic. Some people, you know, you're born with a great voice or whatever. I think, and and you know, I. I I have that gifting and I move, you know, and I, I'm able to, I'm just aware of spiritual things. I don't even have, I couldn't explain it. I don't know why, it just is. But then as we, and, it, and we'll see this again when we get to the, the you know, first and second kings is, is where it really became real, uh, obvious to me. And I will probably encounter it in Samuel also, as well as some of the other prophets. But 
The Bible generally speaks to people with that gifting and people with that awareness as prophets. Like just with the word, the prophet. Mm -hmm. Then there are prophets of some demonic force. Prophets of Baal, prophets of Ashtaroth, prophets of whoever. Mm -hmm. Who have dedicated themselves to right. that evil spirit, which is giving them their information and their knowledge and their, their abilities. And then there are prophets of the Lord. Mm -hmm who have disciplined and fine-tuned themselves to only hear from God. And, and God has empowered them. You know, there's, when I started understanding this, I, I really started praying. And, I, and I, I found it very interesting that, like with, especially we see it with Elijah and Elisha and in those stories, there, is a, there was a mentoring process. When someone was a prophet of the Lord, people with this prophetic awareness would come and live around them to be disciplined by them and learn from them so that they could also learn to tune out anything except what was from God, so that they would learn to recognize what was from God. <coughs> One of the problems I have with the prophetic movement, using my air quotes that you can't see on the recording, the <laughs> prophetic movement, especially in this country, but, but really in a lot of places, is that there has been... There's such a desire for it that people who have a prophetic awareness who, who would fit that prophet are listened to without discernment. They're not disciplined. They're not necessarily prophets of the Lord just because they're believers. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you have disciplined. Right. <laughs> well, just because you're, you know, just because you're, you have that awareness of the spiritual realm and you're a believer doesn't mean that every thought you have and every thing that you become aware of is from God. And sometimes, what's really what what might distinguish the prophet from the prophet of the Lord is what you do with that information. It might be that you're, you know, you're just aware of it because you have that spiritual awareness of things. And in your flesh, you might do one thing, but if you really seek the Lord, he might have you do something very different. Like as, I, as I've grown and I've matured and I've learned, you know, I, I've, I've made mistakes and I've done all these different things. And, and a lot of the mistakes, sadly, were by following what was being modeled for me by other people who had a prophetic gifting. And, and I've really come to the place where I think that probably 90% of what you become aware of if you have a prophetic gifting is not to be said ever. It's supposed to drive you to prayer. It's supposed to, to drive, maybe drive you to action. You know, if I become aware of someone having a need, I might not ever tell them, God told me you need, you know, I might just say, hey, can I give you this? Do, you know, and, and filling that need. But we have a propensity in our, in our Western culture to be so excited about anything that even looks spiritual and assume it's from God if we're a believer. And so we jump on it and, and you know, all this, you know, did you, you know, go and hear the prophet and we need to see the prophet and what does the prophet have to say? And if in Kings that we get this encounter when Ahab dies and, you know, he's going into battle and he calls down to the king in the, in the southern kingdom and says, you know, okay, come into battle with me. And he, he comes up and he says, okay, do you have any prophets we can consult? And so he, Ahab goes out and he's like, I have all sorts of prophets. Prophets, what do you say about this? They're like, oh, you're going to have victory. It's going to be wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And, and the king from the south goes, 
do you have any prophets of the Lord we can consult? Uh, yeah. And he goes, well, there's one, but he doesn't like me. He always gives bad prophecies. I don't, I don't like him. You know, but that's the prophet of the Lord. He doesn't want to go consult him. Yeah. And so he goes, well, let's go, let's go see what he has to say. So they go, and, and, he's, and it's one of my favorite stories, because he's all, listens to them and says, yeah, the Lord says you're going to have victory. You're going to win. You're going to be, you know, you're, you're going to rule over your enemy. And Ahab's like, really? He goes, no, you're going to die. That's <laughs> why I didn't want to come. Yeah, he did. I told you why. I told you he always gives bad prophecies, you know. Oh, my God. So. <laughs> that was a good one, man. She's looking at me like, like what, girl? That was funny, Grandma. Uh, you yeah, know, so. getting excited over there, huh? So it's, it's very. And, and what, what we find when, when we read about the different stories where people encounter prophets, and there's a lot of them. And, you know, people go, oh, well, you know, only these people. No, there are a lot of prophets that are talked about in the Old Testament. The reason why I ask is this lady, a, a camera follows her around. Yeah. Oh, I know she, she can't control yeah. it. She doesn't know when it might happen. Yeah, just right. random. But if the spirit tells her, right, if something tells her to go over there but and then say they wonder, that, then she they goes. also wonder how real she I is because when she does, yeah, yeah. because when she does her real life, uh, she's not as know, accurate. She's not as accurate as she is. Uh, but one of, but one of the things. Like if somebody randomly walks up to you and starts telling you stuff, right. you just run at that point. Well, <laughs> yeah, because she told, the, she told that lady was, I mean, gee, that lady in tears. Well, I think that there's... Her mom and dad and, and knew that they had died early and knew that they had right. seen her Right. I think, I think that there is... I do, when something is from when something is from the Lord, and the and the interesting thing is the people who are prophets in Scripture, sometimes God does use them because they are aware, and if God's speaking, they hear it. Even Balaam, when they were trying to get him to to curse the Jews, and he's he was just a prophet. He wasn't even a, he was not a prophet of the Lord. Yeah. He was just a prophet, and he's like, I can't say that because God won't let me. You know, mm -hmm. God is saying this. If you want me to ask God what He's doing, this is what God's doing. Right, and and so. There is a level becoming, you know, moving from prophet to prophet of the Lord does require discipline. It requires a sensitivity to the purposes. Because just because you have information about someone doesn't mean that God wants you to go and tell them. And so I I've the dis, the discerning factors when I'm dealing with somebody who says that they that they're a prophet or that they have a gift of prophecy or whatever is one. It will what they tell you if it's from God will confirm what God's already been telling you. It will convict you of something that God's already been convicting you of. Or it will be about the future, in which case you do nothing, and if it's true, God will bring it to be. Because outside of that, a lot of times what happens is people, you know, people who have this prophetic awareness, they'll come and they'll give you truth. And this is what we read last week, where even if somebody predicts something, if a prophet predicts something and it comes to be, yeah. and then comes to you and attempts to draw you into worshiping an idol, mm -hmm. kill him on the spot. Yeah, that's what It doesn't said. matter that it was true. Kill him on you the know, spot. The, the truth of, of your prophecy doesn't, isn't what makes you a good prophet. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, what if somebody prophesies, like, I don't know, like, let's say they're like, you know, in the future, this and this, or or maybe they're like, in the future, you know, your relationship with your mom can be terrible or something. And you sweat over it so much to where you already, to where you make it terrible, and now you're not talking to your mom. Well, it's like, it's, could that even happen? Well, too? it does. Yes, people can maybe, do that. Maybe, yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe like they make it happen yourself. Let's say it, yes. It, it, 
Like I said, that probably was false or something. That was, you know, what was going to happen. Right. But you're so freaked out by it to where... You Which is why I truly believe make it anything about the future, make note of it if you want, and then go on with your life. That's right. Because Don't make it happen. <laughs> because, yeah. because conflict between and and also looking at what it is conflict between you and your parent is not something god wants to do that's yeah you know what I mean? so if there's something like that that someone says i say just take it to the lord and and say i i don't want this to happen show me how to live right you know that that should actually drive you to more and more live rightly with your parent yeah. and and so it's you know, I just think we don't we don't have a lot of discernment and we don't have a lot of healthy teaching about the prophetic gifting in our society. And and I think that this is why the focus is supposed to be on how you live. Because anything that you might intuit from the spiritual realm should not override God's commands. So I might be able to tell that somebody you know, I might I might see that someone is is, you know, doing something you know, or, or it has a certain character issue underneath, but I still need to treat them lovingly. I still need to treat them kindly. Right. Um, I still need to show love to them, even as I might put up boundaries that keep that thing I'm aware of from becoming a problem for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, but you, but their problem, like if, if I can tell somebody's got a, a problem, that doesn't justify me attacking them because I, I'm aware of this problem that you have. You know, it's, it's, Saying, I'm going to put up this wall so that that problem doesn't affect me is not the same as going after them and, and pursuing them, you know. So, you know, so he, so God, it's really, it's kind of like in, in Christianity, we kind of do what's backwards from Judaism. In Judaism, they start with, this is how you live. This is why you live that way. This is what it all means and the greater impact. And then as you study more, then you get into things like, you know, prophetic giftings and talking about end times and all these different spiritual matters. We start there and then hope you'll work your way down to how to live, <laughs> which is why Paul says, you know, a lot of times when he's talking about, you know, end times and different things, he always says, but don't worry about that. Go back to what you're supposed to be studying. Learn how to live, learn how to live rightly, learn how to be a community. And these are the things for how to be a community. And, and if, you're, if you're reading these things, then you'll encounter like we did last week, even if someone's prophecy comes true. If they tell you, let's go worship this way or let's go worship this God, strike them down. That's it. They're, 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 you know, and if you find out a town is allowing people to continue doing that, burn the town down. You know, don't let any of them live because they're all, they're all corrupted. And we don't do that. You know, somebody will have a prophetic gifting and everybody runs over to hear what they have to say yeah, that's true. And, and doesn't ask, but are they telling us to worship a different God from what's in scripture. Yeah. So, so go, you know, going, going back to here, if you strictly obey to do the um, careful command that I, I command you today, um, verse six, for the Lord, your God will bless you as he promised you and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, which is the opposite of our country today. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you, and of course, I, I say that, but I'm not at all implying that America is the new Israel, because I know some people believe that, and I'm yeah. not suggesting that. Yep. So if among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, 
whatever it may be. So when God said, like, love your enemy, mm -hmm. would a picture of that be like what the United States do? Because I'm like, they'll go over and have war. Like, they go over and have war with Vietnam. And then when it's all said and done and they say, oh, we won, and then they go back into that country and help them fix it up. Um, Is that loving the enemy? I th well, I think we it's... I th well, let me help you build again. Unfor well, unfortunately, I mean, Vietnam was like the war we lost and we left them destitute. Yeah. It's, yeah, in Germany, yeah. we won and we went back over and helped rebuild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought we did rebuild some things. No. Maybe more recently, but not right away. No, they oh, left them in right poverty away, yeah. and torn apart. Wow. I... Yeah, I don't, I think it's I more, World War II. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think it's more, um, you know, one of the things that I've been going through recently, and it's, it's, I've just had a very rough couple of weeks and, and certain, you know, with some people attacking me in a certain area that I've, I've done a lot in and, um, and it's really interesting because I look back on how I would have reacted 10 years ago and it would have been very different. And I look back on how I would have reacted two years ago and it would have been very different. And what I'm, what I'm very aware of in myself this time is that what they are doing and saying doesn't say anything about me. It says something about them. And I think two years ago, intellectually, I knew that, but it didn't change how I felt or how I wanted to respond. But what I'm finding this time is being aware of that, I'm able to pray for them. I, I'm not taking offense. I'm, I'm able to pray for them. I'm, I'm not feeling the need to publicly defend myself. I, I just, I, I'm just looking and saying, okay, this is teaching me about these people, and I'm not going to repay Evil with evil, even when I, you know, I may want to. I may, I'm like, Lord, I'm wanting to pray some of the Psalms right now, but, you know, bring down my enemies. But, but it's, it's really about, I think it's about understanding that when someone, when you are a child of the king and someone comes against you, you have the choice of taking them on yourself or leaving it to the king to take on. So like what Stephen did, Father forgive them. Yeah. Not what they did. Yeah. They really didn't know what they were doing. Right. <laughs> right. They don't understand. Now. They think they're justified. They think their perspective yeah. is correct. They don't understand the greater ramifications. Mm -hmm. And as a mother, I, I see this with my children and I've been working with my younger kids to really understand this where just because you see that the other person did something wrong, when you respond in kind, that is you doing something wrong. And, and trying to tell the kids, let me parent. Mm -hmm. Because if you jump in and try and fix this, now I have to deal with you and them mm -hmm. who are both doing something wrong. Yep. And, and I, I, God does that with us too. There, you know, With this situation that I'm in, I'm trying very hard not to respond because I want God to be able to respond. I don't want to be in the way of however he, however he chooses to respond. Right, right. And it may not be immediately. It may be that he begins to teach them lessons. It may, and I'm, instead I'm saying, what are you trying to show me in this? What do you want to teach me in this? How do you want to grow me that in this? So hard, it is but very when, hard. When you have kids, I was like, I feel like, <clears throat> I was like dude, having, especially well, having Mark, I was like, this is it's so much clearer now. Like when I go back to read the Bible and stuff, because as a parent now, I, I totally get him with us. Yeah. You're right. I tell Mark that. I'd be like, Mark, 
Just because they took a toy, don't mean you scream at them or hit right. them or jack Because now we've got a toy taker and a screamer i got to yeah. deal with. <laughs> because now it's like, you know, he took your toy, and I could have gotten it back for you a different way. But right. then you went ahead and hit him, so now you're in trouble. Now i got to deal with it. Now i got to deal with both of you, because both of you are doing the wrong thing instead of right. this person hurts you. Just let me deal with it because I right. can deal with it in a more tactful way. Well, and it was years ago that God really first started improving. Yes. Well, one of the th- when God started impressing this upon me, there, you know, it was things that my husband was, God was working with my husband learning, and I was crying and praying one night, and I said, you know, when are you going to, when you, when this is going to be done, when are you going to teach him these lessons, when are you going to do this? And he said, when you get out of the way. And I, and I, st- I thought, I went, oh, oh, every time I was jumping in because I saw the problem, again, just because you see a problem doesn't mean it's your problem. And God was like, get out of the way and let me deal with this. Get out of the way and let me work with him. And, you know, and, and there have been times where I've wanted to cry out, you know, like, Dave, why is this going on so long? And, and God said, because I'm working on something in you. And, and it wasn't until I got to that point where I didn't care about it anymore that we moved on from it, you know. It was that, and what God was trying to show me is, I, it wasn't my problem. I didn't need to care about it. Stop, stop focusing on that. Shift your focus back over here. And so we only have, an, I mean, it's called self-control for a reason. We have enough for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> if we put it outside, if I try and use my control to control you, it won't work. And I won't be controlled. I will be as chaotic yeah. as whoever I'm trying to control. And that's the spirit of witchcraft. Yeah. That, yes, absolutely. When you try and control and manipulate others. And, and so... And this is where, I, going back to the prophetic gifting. Right. I don't think they understand that. Right. Concept. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of people who are aware of spiritual things yeah. share those things in order to manipulate. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You know, if I don't want you to do something and I see that it's going to be a problem if you do it, um, you know, and I go and tell you don't do it because it's going to be a problem if you don't do it, there. Well, that's because that's what gets on my nerves when people try to use. Bible verses to their advantage. Right. And I'm like, even if I am wrong, that's not making me want to be right because you're quoting a verse. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it kind of makes me even matter because I'm like, really? So now you want to use the Bible to your advantage? What about what it says? Right, right. Because then you want to throw something back out. Well, one of the things that, because one of the things that God's really taught me, which has brought me to that, 90% 90% of what a prophet is aware of, they're not supposed to, they're not necessarily supposed to speak, is just because, just because I see that something is going to happen doesn't mean it's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Just because I think it would be a bad thing if that happened doesn't mean it would be. Right. And just because I want to save someone from going through something, just because I want to save someone from going through something doesn't mean that it's not in their best interest to go through it. And that might be the only way they're going to learn a lesson. And if I start putting my energy into protecting them from it, I'm actually keeping them from learning a lesson. Yeah. It's, and, and, yeah. I, I'm a very big believer in I, using, my, um, using my age and experience to look at what a child is doing and see the most likely outcome. And if it's not something that they are ready to survive and, and learn from, 
I block it. If they are, I let it happen. You know, God the, does yeah. I'm sure there is a lot. And then he's yeah. like, yeah. No, yeah, she's, she's not, not ready. ready. And then, no way it happened. And that's why when those hardships come, right. And that's why when those hardships come, you know, there was one thing we were going through, and I was crying to God, I'm like, why are you letting this happen? He said, what do you mean, why am I letting this happen? Because I've been holding this back for three years. You're ready now. And I went, oh, I'm ready to go through this and learn from it. I'm ready to grow through this. It's going to be hard, so but let's go. Reverse, he won't put more on you than you can bear. Yeah. yeah. So if we know it's something we're going through, then... then and he's allowed it. We're ready you're ready. Then we need to because like, he knew from the beginning. Stop wanting yeah. we're, the, we're the ones who don't know. Yeah, we, we're he not caught up with the game plan. <laughs> Yeah. And, it, and it is our perspective, it which is why... It didn't blindside him. It didn't, it didn't catch him off guard. Well, but, that was like, when, like, like that story before when Mark kept wanting to jump off the couch uh -huh. and whatever, and I kept, no, don't do it. But it was like more of me catching him. And, no, don't do that. They right. That's sad. That's sad. And one day he goes and jumps. And I go, you know what? Yeah. If you break a leg, we're just going to go to the hospital. Right. <laughs> you, I felt like right. you're going to have to deal with this consequence. Right. Before you listen to me and not do it, because right. if you don't, if you don't feel the pain, then you're looking at me like, I'm gonna jump off the couch again. Yeah. <laughs> and and he might not ever feel the pain. In which case, do you need to block it? Exactly. You know what I mean? There's a lot of times where I think that we run around and we anticipate something negative is going to happen, so we're running around with bubble wrap around people, and it it doesn't turn out badly for them. So what's it matter? Or he could you know? yeah, he could have jumped, tucked and rolled, and it turned out okay. I don't know. Right. So that's why, like that last time, I said, you know what? Whatever, and I just let it go. There are a lot of things with my kids that I, you know, when they'll say, "Can I do this?" When they're younger, I will look at them and say, "Do you feel safe doing that?" And and they'll sometimes they'll go, "No," and I'll be like, "Then you probably shouldn't do it," you know, or they say. <clears throat> yeah, I do. And I'll say, okay, you could try. Absolutely. If you yeah. get stuck, I'll help you. But but we do. We we are a society that likes to control others mm -hmm. and not control ourselves. And because of that, we are a very chaotic, out-of-control society. And I also think sometimes when you take away that um, that independence or what, I'm not sure if that's the right, right. thing from your child, you end up... Uh, you cripple them. You cripple in them. Because if you have that confidence in you... Because, like, when I think back about being a child now, and there are certain things that my father, you know, would keep me from or my mother just because, like, out of worry. Mm -hmm. But I was sure and, and confident in it, you know, and it's sort of like uh, the deer, where in the Bible says being as sure-footed as a deer. Right. And if you have that confidence as a deer, then you're going to be sure-footed in the right. steps you take. One of the things that I think do. is the, the one of the worst mistakes parents make is using the phrase, be careful. Yeah. Because until you tell a child that, they are. Yeah. If you tell them that, then they, then they begin to doubt what they're doing. And they doubt themselves. If you watch yeah. on a playground, kids are fine until a parent yells, be careful, and then somebody falls. Yeah. You know? Yes. What is up with that? <laughs> but because they, they never, like, they were being careful. Flying stunts, and you're like, oh, oh, ah. And you're just waiting for them to, and as soon as there's a mom that goes, Honey, just be careful. They yeah, they are. Awesome. Right. You, you draw their attention. They're not focused anymore. Then they fall, and then they begin to doubt themselves. Yeah. And so if you don't tell them to doubt themselves, they don't. Yeah.
so, so you know, so it's it's so hard not to say it though. It is. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. But I but I also love if you know if you look at how this is worded, if somebody becomes poor, then you open your hand to them. It doesn't say don't let anybody get poor. You know, if people are making choices and that's what comes from it. You're not supposed to get, you know, you're, you're not supposed to go, you're not rescuing everybody. Right. But when somebody ends up in that place of struggle, you're there to help them. You're there to, to take care of them. And that, that's a very different approach than trying to demand that nobody have a problem in the first place. You know, people are going to make mistakes. Let them learn from them. Be there to help pull them out. Um, so verse 9, and this continues with this, take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. So if you get to that, you know, if you're in the six and a half years, and your brother near you is, is in need, you loan them whatever they need, even knowing in six months they don't have to pay you back. It's not, it's not about the payback. It's about the generosity. Yeah, it's, about, it's about that spirit of generosity. It's about realizing that you have enough and your brother is in need, and that is more important than whether or not you get paid back. Right. And there have been lots of things that once, some, you know, when money is given or gone, and I go, oh, that's just gone. And, I, well, it's tithe to you, Lord, because I, I'm not going to get it back there. That's fine. So verse 10, you shall give to him freely. This is your brother, no matter how close you are to the seventh year. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. So he's gone from saying, don't let there be any poor among you, to saying there will always be poor. So, and, and we, Yeshua talks about this too. He says, there'll be poor until, until I return. That doesn't mean you don't take care of them. You know, you're not supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to say, well, you know, they'll always be poor. They can fend for themselves. But you're saying there will always be poor, which means there will always be a need to be taking care of our brother. So here, there will never be, cease to be poor in your land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. And this is where if you rescue somebody, like they have to pay back three times what they stole and they don't have the money, and you pay for them, then they come into your home, and, and you become their Torah master who teaches, your, the, the goal being however long they're with you, you're supposed to be teaching them how to live rightly so that when they are released in that seventh year, they go and actually have a better chance of succeeding. Um, and when you let them go, don't let them go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give it to him. So it's not like today, you know, where we let people out of prison and all they've got is whatever was in their pocket the day they were arrested, yeah. and good luck to you. You know, and then they, we wonder, why do you go out and commit a crime? Well, they, okay, I had nothing, and... But that, that's, that's true, and if they're felon, and then but then that's where you get lucky defenders because it's like right. okay, they don't give I them have a nothing chance. going in. I get out. I have nothing. These, well, it's even I worse. Can't, I can't vote. Right. 
Right. Nobody so wants not, to give me a job. Nobody wants to give me a job. So it's almost like you're out. a non-existent citizen, like you're invisible. And then it's like, so what do you want me to do? It's like if I can't provide for myself and possibly a family that's been waiting for me to get out. Right. You know, because the woman I love well, is finally like, you need a job. And, that, and that's why people want to say, oh, you know, because the word is slaved or sold to you. But this was what was done to them instead of put in, putting them in prison. You know, the, the whatever family member bailed you out, you go into their home and you, you take a, you, you're humble to a position of servant and you learn from them and they teach you their skill. Whatever they're doing for their job, that's what you're going to be helping them with. You apprentice with them. You learn. And, and then when they, they let you go, they're supposed to liberally give to you out of what they have so that you don't feel that need to, you know, so that you're not in that situation. And if, I mean, you might be just a wicked person. You might just have wicked ideas, but that's why there are certain things that, that, you know, God, and God says, if you're doing these things, you need to be gotten rid of, you know, you, you know, whether you're cast out of the community or, or whether you're put to death or whatever, there are certain things that God says, this corruption, this level of corruption, you're not going to be able to teach each other out of. But there are other things that, that, you know, if you're robbing because you're broke, getting a skill, getting some resources, and, and ha seeing that hope and that, that opportunity is going to lead to a very different outcome. Mm -hmm. So he says, um, verse 15, you, sh you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he is well off with you, excuse me, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. And, well, it's, 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 like a, it's like a spoke. No, they're not nailing people to the door. But it's basically, basically it's, the, it's piercing the ear. Yeah. And so they use the post behind it to block it so it doesn't go in all the way poke a hole in the ear, and then they give you an earring that is a symbol of being a slave in their home. That's that, why that some people don't, don't believe in. Right. Like seven-day adventure. Yeah, yeah, right. Or they don't believe in they don't believe You're not supposed to have it. Whereas I would say, if you're a, if you're a slave to the Lord, Hello. here's your... No. Here's your <laughs> And to your female slave. And but they all had, you know, they all when they came out, they all had earrings and different stuff, you know. And and I and I would assume that it's a particular type of earring or maybe the earring of your household or or whatever. But verse 18, it shall not seem hard to you when you let him free from you, for at half the cost of a hired worker he has served you six years. So the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So in other words, you didn't have to, pay, you know, you, you had to provide for them, but you didn't have to pay them for all these times. So now, you know, you send them out, bless them. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God, year by year, at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind, or has any serious blemish whatsoever, or whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it, as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Because we were reading it last week, too. Yeah. 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 So Deuteronomy 16. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And Passover is coming up 
next month. So we will be talking about it very soon. Um, the second night of Passover will be when we do our Seder here. So we can start, you know, if you want to invite people, we can start talking about the menu and everything. And uh, you what? You should say lamb. Lamb. <laughs> I love lamb. <laughs> if you want to roast the lamb, you may. They, they are hard to cook. <laughs> Yeah. So, we want whatever potato thing you made last time. That was really oh, good. Was really good. Yeah, Fiona was just talking about that a couple of weeks ago. She's like, we got to get that thing. Um, the green beans with the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yes, that was so good. Yeah, that was yummy. But the fresh beans I got from here. Yeah. I was doing eggplant. I was like, the Lord is feeding me. I know. I know. It was wonderful. We froze food. I had no food idea and, I was going to get all this food. Well, and we froze food, and I thought, and we, I know we're eating tomato soup. We ate, like, we've had tomato soup several nights this week, and it's just so good. You, you, you know how? recipe because I got tomatoes Okay. Now. I was like, it's simple, easy. I'll say it while Lisa's here. We just, we put it in the crock pot or a pot, boil the tomatoes down, mm -hmm. and then we put them in the Vitamix and just blend them up. Uh -huh. And then we add... Um, olive oil and into the Vitamix while it's blending until it thickens, uh -huh. and then we add almond milk to make it creamy, oh, and we put in fresh basil and then garlic and salt and pepper, and it's it's just delicious. It's just absolutely delicious. And then yet last night we put rice in it, so it was like its own kind of. Almond milk. No, no. The other oh, uh, raw basil, like fresh basil. No, you said so. You said tomatoes. And well, cook the tomatoes down. Olive oil. The Vitamix. The Vitamix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vitamix. The blender. That's, That's our blender. Oh, the Vitamix. Yeah, the Vitamix. Just it's it's a high powered blender, so it really so we don't have to like we don't have to skin the tomatoes. Mm -hmm. It it just blends it all down to a liquid. It's really oh okay. It's really high powered. That's what they say. The Vitamix and the Ninja are like the best. Yeah, the yeah. So maybe we'll bring tomato soup to Paso. <laughs> so. Yeah, so yeah, we and we can do that too. But it's but we just cooking them down. You might want to just try it with the hot water there. So, but um, so in the month of the bead, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night, and you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make His name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there will be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. 
You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days, when you have, which is um, Sukkot, when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levi, the sojourner, um, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and all that the work of, in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. Does this one come after the Passover? Yeah, it's, well, the Sukkot comes after um, Yom Kippur. Yom. So Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot. Okay. So three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover and the week after, at the Feast of Weeks, um, which is at uh, Shavuot or Pentecost, and at the Feast of Booths, which is Sukkot. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So that those were the three times that you actually brought your tithe. Um, every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God has given you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not plant any tree as an Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make. And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. So it doesn't say that you may not plant trees near the altar of the Lord. It just says you may not set up an Asherah tree. You know, you're not, don't, don't, don't go dancing around a maypole next to the altar. This is, you know, you don't worship it. So, so Samuel won, um, and so today we're going to start, hey, so we just finished reading about the, the judges. Whoops. There's your hello kitty. Hello kitty. I know. <laughs> so Samuel won. There was, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was uh, Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So, Three times a year, we just read which three times that was. He would go up for he would go up for the commanded feast. In other words, he's an observant, you know, he, he's a Jewish man who's observing God's law. Um, so, <coughs> verse three. Now this, um, okay. Ever, actually, I, apparently, I have that twice. So, verse four. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So he provided for his wife and all the children, but then he gave a double portion to Hannah to bless her, because he loved her even more, even, even, though, she, even though she couldn't give him children. And her rival, yeah, exactly. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, 
she used to provoke her. Therefore Hana wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hana, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Am I not enough? Yep, that's what he's saying. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, a little Nazarite yeah, promise there, like um, which is, is very ironic considering what's about to happen. Because as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, whereas she's vowing, you know, uh, an, uh, you know, no razor shall touch his head, and he's going, oh, she's drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, meaning... Mm-hmm. Yes. They, they, they knew each other. And the, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Um, so she stayed home all three times each year that he would go up. And at that time, um, the best evidence is that children were nursed until between three and five years. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's not like she was going to take a baby and hand him over to Eli. You know, she was going to, and, and they were actually called like an infant or a nursling until the age of five, at which point they become, they were called you know, a different name. I was just going to say, child. how long before they weaned, so at least five. It, yeah, I mean, if the child weaned itself prior to that, that was fine, but five was the, the point where they became a child and not a, a baby, you know, not, not a little one. So um, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. They put, like, stipulations on it now. As, like after about six months. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it, yeah, it's very, and, and one, one thing I was reading said that if you were from the line of David, it was six years because you were supposed to be given the best, yeah. you know, longer. But mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, that wasn't like a, I just thought it was an interesting thing. Yeah. So verse 24, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh and the child was young. Uh, and the child was young. So could it be safe to say maybe he was three since the bull was three? 
Um, that any indication no, I, I don't. I wouldn't think so. I don't think so. No. Um, then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli and she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Yeah, I, 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 also, I don't, I can't really, I can't really imagine the priest going, sure, I'll take your toddler, you know, <laughs> but at five, they, you know, they're a little more mature. They're a little, that, that was when they started, you know, at Hebrew school, they were supposed to spend time with the men. Um, and this is one of the times the the word na'ar that is translated as child in, in a lot of the Proverbs and a lot of scripture, um, it was tr it's generally used of people men from the ages of 13 to 30. And that was when you were a child. You were a na'ar. Um, 13 to 30, yeah, because you could start your ministry, at, you could start like a ministry at 30, but until then you were apprentice. That. I was like, it seems like a lot of people's ministries start in their 30s. Right. Right, yeah. and but the the word na'ar, um, it, it the picture of it, the what it's trying to convey is is uh, ripped away, mm -hmm. and it, it speaks to the the point where a, a young male, because up until the age of five they are completely in the women's camp. Okay. From between five and thirteen they go back and forth between the men's and the women's camps between their mother and their father. You know, they out in the fields or doing whatever the men are doing and then coming home. And, and then at the age of 13, they are ripped away from their mother and put fully in the men's camp. And so that's what Na'ar speaks to. The only two times it is used of, of a young male who's not 13 yet are Moses, who was ripped away from his mother when she put him in the Nile, and Samuel, who was ripped away from his mother when she gave him to the priest. So... You know, and that so that that's what it's saying there, and and the naar was young, so the ripped away one was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, "Oh my lord, as you live, my lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed, going into Samuel two. Well, she'd be able to go visit him, yeah. but he wouldn't live with her. I think he's going to talk about that. Yeah. Like one of her visits or a couple of her visits. Yeah. So, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none whole in who is her enemy. You know, yeah. the, you know okay, Penina. <laughs> I have a child. <laughs> so there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The, bow, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Yeah. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. So she had seven kids? Panina probably did. Mm -hmm. But she said the one who was barren bore seven. Well, or, or, or seven meaning like spiritual perfection. Yeah. I've born, I born somebody who's serving in the temple. Oh, 
You have all these kids, and sad to you. (laughs) So the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Yes. They yeah they did not know the Lord. The custom and why their dad was the priest. <laughs> you know, preacher's kids are the worst. Well, and this I there there is there is what I what I see a lot of times in in pastors' homes, um, and a lot of times like it it comes out when different you know when pastors divorce or different things happen. And it's something that I have worked very, very, very hard to not let happen in, in our home mm-hmm. is that a lot of times whoever's serving as the pastor puts all their energy into everybody else yes. and not into their own children and, and their own families. It's like the mechanic whose cars never run right. You know, they're, they're out doing for everybody else. Oh, the hairdresser have this hair always tied to the bun. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and... and a lot of times, like there, in Titus two, when we see the quality qualifications for an elder, what's really sad to me is at some point they became a checklist, and 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 they were misunderstood. And as as understanding of the Greek language has come a, a long way in the last ten twenty years, there's new understanding of these things. For one thing, they are not gender specific; they don't just speak about men. Um, they just use the plural, the male plural, like most languages. You know, when you're when you're talking to a group, you talk to, you use the male yeah. articles. But they talk about like where it normally says a husband of one wife. It really is saying a devoted spouse. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't don't put for an elder over your church somebody who's got strife in their marriage. Yeah. Put put as an elder over your church someone who's got a good solid relationship with their in their marriage. And and what's come to be translated as um, you know, and see that his children obey him reverently, blah, blah, blah. What it what Paul's really saying is look to the people who know the real person and see who they are. Because the children, you know, the people in the home, they, they don't just see the public image of the person. They see the real person. Uh-huh. And if, they're, if, the, if his children or her children respect her or him, that's somebody you want. Because Paul goes on to say, how they treat their family is how they will treat you. And so if somebody is real dogmatic with their family, you put them over a bunch of people in a church setting, and they're going to be real dogmatic over them too. You know, if somebody is a servant in their family and, and, and is loving and, and taking care of it, you put them over your congregation and they're going to be, you know, that's how they're going to treat everybody. So, so it's really saying these are character traits that you should look for. Look, to, look at how the family responds to them. You know, does the spouse have a devotion to them or are they annoyed all the time? You know, what's going on? How they treat their family is how they'll treat you. And, and so sadly, we've got Eli having raised worthless men. Yeah. 
Can I use your outlet because my battery's on 10%? Oh, you, can you supply me? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can. You can, yeah. In fact, um, there, I, I have the extension cord, but there's plugins up here. Okay. You can just plug it right in. You can look on with that. Oh, I think the Oh, I actually, um, yeah, I do. I do. I've got this over here. Let me see if I can turn this around. Yeah, here, we can plug it in on my, let's do this, because I'm all plugged in. Okay, Mom. So. Rabbi Crystal's in charge of me. <laughs> so, um, so, so, you know, Eli's sons were worth, worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wow. So what's the difference between boiled meat and raw meat? I mean, what, I mean if, if, if they're sticking it in and bringing up what's on the fork and they don't let it cook all the way, they're going to bring up a much bigger hunk of meat for themselves than for you. And if they're saying, take, you know, no, you got to give it to us raw because once it boils down... You know they're going to end up with less, and and if they're if the person is saying no, let us do it appropriately. I'll take it from you by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So they didn't see it as getting to receive a portion of what was offered to the Lord. They saw it as their right. You know, this is the means we have to get fed. I want more food. I'm going to take it. So Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. So you know, here's, here's Eli's men out being contemptuous with the Lord's sacrifice, and here's Samuel, this young kid, ministering to the Lord. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband See, to offer the yearly year sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Well, and they would see him three times. She would just make him his cloak. You know, here's your new cloak for the new year. And, um, but, but she did. She would get to see him all three times that they okay. went up. Uh, not that that's a lot to see your son, but, you know, it's not like she, she never got to see him. Um, verse 21, indeed the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And wow. the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. See that? He gave her even more. That's children. right. So, so she gave the firstborn male that opened her womb back to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. They ate good. They're still in meat. They're sleeping with the women serving at the temple. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? That's true. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Mm. 
now the in a you know basically got you know again not saying God wouldn't let them hear it's just they were done they'd gone too far and so even his words weren't able to convince them now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man and there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephah before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the property that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. Mm. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So God's saying, I'm done with your sons. They've shown contempt. They don't get to inherit this. They are not worthy. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like, what lesson do you learn if you do all of that and then God still goes, sure, you can inherit it. Right. Well, and... And then what are the people learning? Well, and that's, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, where God, I really believe that God holds off things until we're ready to go through them and learn from them. But if he, if he you know, some people act like, well, if God's blessing you, nothing bad will ever happen. Yeah, that's wrong. And yet, if nothing, I mean, we learn so much through what we deem as bad. And, and the, you know, it's really interesting because the, the, longer, the longer I'm alive and the more I look at things that I, you know, when I go through them a, a, a second or a third time as things happen, and I go, um... When I went through this years ago, I thought it was the most horrible thing. It's happening again, and with a different perspective, I go, it's not good, but we'll survive. And, and the thing didn't change. It was me who changed. And so going through those, those hard times doesn't have to be bad. And if it is bad, that doesn't mean that God's punishing you or that you're being cursed or, that, or even that you aren't mature enough to fully understand it. It just means you are where you are, and that's the experience of it this time. But you're going to grow through that, and you're going to move forward. And should it ever happen again, you will experience it differently. You know, so, so it's not even – I, I don't even want to communicate this idea that if it's hard for you, that just means you're immature. It's more that 
you just can't help where, I mean, you are where you are. And if it's hard, that means this is giving you a chance to grow through it. And, and if you don't ever have those opportunities, you don't grow and, and get even more mature and, and gain that outside godly perspective. Which, and, it, and it is. It's so different when I look at things and I, it, and I can relate it to parenting my children through stuff and realize, you know, that doesn't mean that I see it the way God sees it. It just means that I'm, I, I have become more open to the idea that there is an outside perspective and I'm inside and I can't really see it all the way, so I'm just going to trust and, and try in each of my interactions to do what I need to do so that I get through this with the least damage done by me or to me, you know? <laughs> and, and it's just a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you. And may he grant you his peace. Amen. Mm -hmm. And we will... The recording.